Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, that we get another day of breath and life in you. So, God, we are so eternally grateful in a day where... Um, you know, there's all kinds of things going on in our world. We're just grateful that we get another day to glorify you, that we get another day to honor you, that we get another day to hear your voice. And so today, Lord, as we read through your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would reveal it to us, that you would make it come alive in us and through us, God. I pray that um, we would be able to see what you're trying to teach us, God, and uh, to just not be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Help us to apply each and every aspect, each and everything that we learn to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 34. Let's get into it. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had born, uh, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. By the way, I'm reading in the NIV version. This is the NIV version. Went out to visit the women of the land. Verse two, when Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was, was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had, what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor's, Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give him, give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Verse 11. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to, I am to bring to you as great as you like. And I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Verse 13. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man 
who is not circumcised, that would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, you'll take our sister and go. We'll take our sister and go. Verse 18. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem, the young man who was the most honored of all the father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. Verse 21. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his sons Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Verse 25. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in, and out in the fields. Verse 29, they carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and the parasites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Whew. All right. Let's get a good stretch in on this one. Good stretch in on this one. You ever read the Bible and honestly wonder, what the heck am I reading? All right. Like there are times when I read the Bible and I honestly ask, why in the world do I need to read this? A perfect example would be when we're going through all the numbers in the book of numbers or all the laws in the book of Leviticus or all the genealogies in the old Testament. And even sometimes in the new Testament where they're going through all the names and it's just like, Oh my goodness. First of all, I can't pronounce all these names. Okay, so I can't even read it if I wanted to. Or second of all, these are just way too many names to remember. And how can I even get through this? And you're wondering, like, what am I going to get out of this? Right. What in the world am I supposed to learn from this passage? 
this to me is one of those passages. I feel like every time I get on here, I have to like, I'm going to talk to Pastor Jason, whoever's setting this up, because I think they're setting me up. I genuinely believe that they are purposely going, let's give the hard ones to Jose, right? And um, this to me is one of those chapters, because this chapter records a whole lot of messy stuff in the Bible, right? Like you read this chapter, and you're like, there's rape, there's murder, people are setting each other up. And the one question I'm asking is, where's God in all of this, right? Where's God in all of this? But the one thing we have to remember is that the Bible always lets us know that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and correction and training in righteousness. In other words, there's something that we can learn from this. There's something that we can get out of the story. One of the things that I want to draw our attention to right away is that this passage is unique in the Bible because the name of God is not mentioned at all in this chapter. If you notice and you read through that, you don't see God's name mentioned. You don't see God's influence mentioned. You don't hear God speaking at all. There's no, uh, no guidance, no direction given from God. It's one of the few passages in the Bible that does not include God at all. Another example of that would be the book of Esther, right? The name of God is not in that, in that book at all. God is not mentioned at all. However, you see God's fingerprint, you see God's influence, you see God's purpose, you see God's will all throughout the book of Esther. This chapter is similar. However, the difference between this chapter and Esther is that you don't even see God's influence in this chapter. You don't see his purpose in this chapter. You don't see his will in this chapter. You don't see his name in this chapter. And so one of the things that stands out to me right off the bat is that this passage is a very good illustration of what God, what life looks like when God isn't in the picture. The chaos that's involved in life, in life when God's not in the picture. The bad decisions that we can make in life when God's not in the picture, right? The ways that we can compromise when God's not in the picture. Let's look at this in context, right? Let's, let's establish what's going on in this chapter. We have this girl whose name is Dinah. Dinah was the seventh and last child of Jacob, who was born uh, from Jacob's first wife, Leah. If you remember, Leah was not Jacob's preferred wife. Jacob worked as hard as he worked because he wanted to marry Rachel. Rachel was his boo thing. Rachel was his love. Rachel was what he wanted, but he ended up with Leah because Rachel and Leah's father ended up deceiving Jacob and forced Jacob to marry Leah and work harder for Rachel. So Dinah is the daughter of Leah. She is the last daughter, the last child of Jacob, which probably means that it is more likely that because number one, she was a female, she was a daughter, and she was the daughter of Leah, she may not have been one of the favorites, okay? Especially in a patriarchal society where men are valued more than women back in this time, okay? Um, 
you know, the sons were like, they carried the lineage. They were the important ones, right? But here we are, we have, she's a daughter, she's the last born, and she's the daughter of the least preferred wife, right? Dinah was probably around 14 to 15 years old in this chapter. Uh, it is recorded by the great historian Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, that Dinah was heading uh, to one of the pagan festivals of Shechem, okay? That's, which is why in verse one, we see that she went to go visit the women of the land, right? It's possible that this was not Dinah's first time to, to uh, first visit to Shechem. It's likely that Hamor had seen her before, that Dinah, quite frankly, might have enjoyed the attention of the town's most eligible bachelor. This guy was the son of the ruler of the land, right? So, when Jacob heard about the situation, we see that Shechem raped Dinah and also apparently kidnapped Dinah. And in verse 26, we read that Dinah was taken from Shechem's house. We do not know if Dinah was held against her will or not, right? When Jacob heard about the situation, he did absolutely nothing. What we see is that the sons take over. They come up with a plan. They come up with a scheme. But Jacob is actually really absent about the whole thing. And it may have been because he didn't care enough, or it could have been because he didn't know what to do. He had no idea how to handle the situation, right? Shechem did want to make Dinah his wife because we understand that Shechem was infatuated with Dinah. He loved Dinah. He desired Dinah so much so that he ended up taking her by his own will and unwillingly on Dinah's account, and he raped her, right? So Shechem and Hamor approached Jacob to arrange this marriage between the two to kind of rectify the situation and kind of justify Shechem's behavior uh, by, by saying, hey, the reason why he did, he, well, he did is because he, he, he loves her. He wants to take her as his wife, and they were willing to do whatever they could to have this marriage between the two because he desired her so much. However, the brothers of Dinah end up setting up the people of Shechem, telling them that they could not possibly allow their sister to marry them, uh, to marry into an uncircumcised people or religious group, right? On religious grounds. Either out of love, fear, or out of uh, desire for an economic benefit imagined by joining of the two families the men of Shechem all were circumcised so the sons of Jacob they're like hey the only way that we'll allow this marriage to go on is if you go ahead and get circumcised right now circumcision was half was something that was supposed to happen at birth right a few days after birth but here they are they plan this whole scheme if we can weaken the men by getting them circumcised and attack them while they're recovering, we'll end up winning this battle, right? That's what we see unfold through the whole chapter. The brothers of Dinah set up the people of Shechem, all right? So while in the pain and immobility following their circumcisions, the brothers of Dinah killed all the men of Shechem and then looked and then looted the town and took the women and children, right? You could admit, that this whole situation is just one crazy, crazy story where you're wondering 
who's right, who's wrong, right? Because we have Shechem who rapes Dinah, obviously does something horrifying and horrific. But then you have the sons of Jacob justifying killing an entire village of men over the sins of one man. Can you see the chaos that is involved in life? The way people make decisions in life that lead to horrific circumstances when God is not in the picture. I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn here, right? There's a lot of lessons that we can learn here because there are a few lessons that we can learn about what happens when God is in the picture. Number one, right? When God isn't in the picture, you end up settling in places you were never meant to be. When God isn't in the picture, you end up settling in places you were never meant to be. Let me explain. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 2, Jacob was instructed by God to go back to the land of his fathers and his relatives, right? And he says, go back to the land. This is uh, Genesis chapter 32, verse or 31, verse, verse 2. He says, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Could it be that the reason why God was not with Jacob in this moment is because Jacob and his family settled in a land they were never supposed to be in? They were instructed to go back to Bethel. They were instructed, instructed to go back to the land of the fathers, and God said, I will be with you, right? When God isn't in the picture, you end up settling in places you were never meant to be in. And this is why so many times we end up involved in chaos because the reality is that this happens to all of us. When God's not in the picture, we settle for relationships we're not supposed to be in. We settle for careers we're not supposed to be in. We settle for businesses we're not supposed to be in. We settle for things, situations, circumstances, places we were never meant to be in. Jacob was never supposed to settle in the land of Shechem. He was never supposed to settle there. God specifically told him to return to the land of his fathers, the land Jacob was, this, this was destined for, the, the land that Jacob was supposed to go to, to experience the greatest blessing, to experience the purpose and the will of God was the land of Bethel. That's why in the very next chapter, in verse 1, we see, then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. In other words, you knew before this that you were not supposed to settle in this place. And what we see is this negotiation going on with Shechem throughout the whole chapter of 34 to say, hey, man, let's marry Let's marry our daughters together. Let's join our forces together. Let's take, let's put our money together. Let's put our property, our land. Let's get everything together and become one people. You were never meant to become one people. You were intended to be a people that was set apart. You were intended to be a people that was destined for greatness. There's a different promise on your life. There's a different purpose on your life. But the problem is that when God is not in the picture, we end up settling in places and dealing with people that we were never meant to be in, right? The second thing we can learn from this is that when God is not in the picture, you end up becoming slaves to your passion rather than committed to your purpose. 
when God is not in the picture, we end up being slaves to our passion rather than committed to our purpose. What do I mean by that? In verse one, we see that it says Dinah went out to visit women of the land, visit the women of the land. My question is, what are you doing visiting the women of the land? When God has called you to be different, God has called you to be set apart. God has made it clear that he did not want the Israelites mixing with the other people and other cultures, right? We see Shechem seems to see, see nothing wrong with raping Dinah, right? He gives into his passions. He gives into his desires. He gives into his, his, what he wants, what he craves, because he has no idea who God is. So therefore God is not in his life and he sees nothing wrong with what he did. We see the sons of Jacob see nothing wrong with destroying an entire people because the sins of because of the sins of one person. Why? Because when God isn't in the picture, you end up becoming slaves to your passion rather than committed to your purpose. Right. And we need to be a people that is committed to God's purpose. We need to be a people that is committed to our purpose when our lives are dictated by our passions, our desires our wants, our needs, then we end up making choices that end up leading to our compromise. We end up making choices that compromise our integrity. We end up making choices that compromise our moral values. We end up making choices that compromise our beliefs. We end up making choices that compromise in our relationship with God because we are being become slaves of our passions rather than committed to our purpose, right? And then what ends up happening is that we are more inclined to give in to the desires of our flesh than we are the desires of God's heart. When God is in the picture, we end up being a people who are more inclined to give in to the desires of the flesh rather than the desires of God's heart. We compromise in values. We compromise in morals. That's why we get angry when people cut us off on the side on the highway. And so we end up cussing them out and giving them the finger, no matter what sticker we have in the back. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right. A person lusts for someone other than their spouse and calls their actions justified because they have fallen out of love with their spouse. Because their spouse didn't make them happy. Right. We, we lack self-control. And we want when we want, when we want it, how we want it, why we want it, when we want it. And so we end up living under this incredible pressure of financial debt because at the end of the day, it's all about all of our desires, what feels good to us, what makes us happy, what we desire and what we want. And so we end up making bad decisions because we are not worrying about the desires of God's heart we're focusing on the desires of our flesh. That's why we end up in relationships that end up leading into chaos, right? We think we're going to be okay as long as we feel loved, as long as we feel happy. And so we end up getting in relationships. We end up compromising in our morals. We end up sleeping around and getting with people, end up with an, with an, uh, an inconvenient or an inconvenient pregnancy, or worse yet, some kind of STDs or whatever the case may be. And we wonder, how did we get here? How did we get here? Because God wasn't in the picture. When God is not in the picture, 
we're more inclined to cave to the desires of our flesh rather than focus on the desires of God's heart. So what do we do? Right? What do we do? What you see in this entire passage is that not there's not one point, there's not one point where Jacob says, let me go to God about this situation. There's not one point where the sons of Jacob go, let me go to God about the situation. Nope. The entire time, they try to figure out things on their own. They come up with their own plan. They come up with their own scheme. And what ends up happening is it ends up leading to more chaos, more dysfunction, more pain, more hurt. And what ends up happening oftentimes is that we end up thinking that two wrongs make a right, <laughs> right? Shechem raped our sister Dinah. And so I'm justified in coming up with my own plan and completely annihilating all the men in a land over one person's sin. And so I end up making another bad decision that leads to more chaos, more hurt, more brokenness, more craziness more messiness. And so I just want to encourage you. Listen to me. You cannot afford to go through life without God in it. God gives us the guidance we need. God gives us the instructions we need. God gives us the, the, the purpose. God gives us the, the, the plans. God helps us to overcome every single situation we could ever face. But when we remove God out of the picture, we end up with more chaos in our lives than you and I can honestly afford. And so I don't want to live this life without God. I don't want to go through this kind of hurt, through this kind of pain without God. Because it leads to more problems. It leads to more pain. It leads to me missing out on my purpose. And so I would encourage you now more than ever, especially in the day that we're living in. You can see this, this passage come alive when you look at the chaos that we're living in. We got wars going on in other countries. It seems like we've got shootings happening all over this country every other day, right? People hurting people, people hating people, situations going on, marriages being broken up, families being destroyed, you know, uh, the, 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 the concept of marriage being destroyed, whatever the case may be, like we need God now more than ever. And we as a people need to be the people who include God in every aspect of, a life, of our lives. We cannot give in to the passions, the desires of our flesh. We cannot be slaves to our passion and not committed to the purpose that God has for us. We cannot get settled in places, in things, in relationships that we were never meant to be in. The only thing I want to be settled in is God's purpose for my life. The only thing I want to be settled in is my relationship with God. The only thing I want to be concerned with is the purpose that God has for my life. The only thing I want to be concerned with is not the desires of my flesh, because the desires of my flesh will always lead to chaos and pain and hurt. But the desires of God's heart will always lead to blessing. And so I just pray that this morning we would be encouraged as we read this passage. Yes, it's messy, but life is messy. Without God, life is ugly. Life is messy. And that is the entire purpose 
of this chapter is that when God is not involved in life, chaos reigns. Chaos reigns, right? And so I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know where you're at in your life, in your walk, in your journey. But stay focused. But stay committed, right? Don't try to make decisions without God. Make sure that he is a center of your universe. Because without him, life is chaos. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you um, that, God, you're with us. You are for us. God, I thank you that we don't have to do life alone. That, God, we can go to you for guidance and clarity. That even in messy situations, we can know and trust that we have a Savior, a God who cares for us, a God who comforts us, a God who leads us, guides us, and directs us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would do that. God, we pray that we would not walk through this life alone, but that we would be led entirely by your Spirit, that you would guide our steps, that you would not allow us to stumble, that, God, that we would understand that all of the wisdom that we need is found in you. God, help us to not settle in places, in things, in relationships that we were not meant to settle in. Help us to remain settled in you. God, help us to not be slaves of our passion. But God, teach us what it looks like to be committed to the purpose that you have for our lives. God, help us to not be concerned with the desires of our flesh, but to be more concerned with the desires of your heart. Show us your heart. Reveal your heart to us. Help us to have a, a fire within our heart that burns for the things that burn in your heart. So, Lord, I just pray that as we go uh, into this weekend, God, that you would be with us. I pray for tomorrow as we go um, and we're going to be in uh, worship in the park in Cumberland County. God, I pray that your presence would be there. I pray that people would come to know you. I pray that people who go into that park would feel and sense your presence. But most importantly, they would be convicted in the spirit to call upon you as their Lord and their Savior. God, I pray uh, for those who are going through a hard time right now. God, that you would comfort them, that you would be with them, that you would guide them and give them wisdom, that, you would, that they would find the fullness of joy in you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.